This is the Proactive IT Podcast. This week, the latest in IT and cybersecurity news, plus a rough week for WordPress, no one is safe from ransomware, and access management for healthcare. This is episode 27. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Proactive IT Podcast. Each week, we talk about the latest in tech and cyber news, compliance, and more. We also bring you real-world examples to learn from so that you can better protect your business and your identity. This podcast is brought to you by Nawaj Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant located in Central Connecticut. You can find us at nawajtech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. All right. First of all, thank you for listening to this podcast once again. Um wherever you're listening to this if you could please like share comment review all of the above anything you could do would be greatly appreciated and we would um we'll send you virtual hugs how about that and if you're in a hipaa compliant business please go to facebook and in a search type and get hipaa compliance and join that group where we share lots of hipaa information that will help your healthcare practice or your business associate um remain in the HIPAA green. How about that? Um, we don't have a question of the week. I, th- I was sent a few questions, and, but they're mostly around Zoom and Google Classroom and things like that. Um, I think we've talked enough about Zoom, so we're not going to discuss that here. I will say that Google has launched Google Meets, which is supposed to be, it's really just Google Hangouts rebranded, um, but they're trying to compete with Zoom, of course, and Facebook is launching through Facebook Messenger. They're launching a similar service. So be on the lookout for those and, um, you know, use whatever you think is appropriate for your business. But just know that Zoom has fixed most of the issues. I think all of the issues at this point. Um, There were a few updates that we need to talk about. So we're just going to add to the April update. I know today's May 1st. Happy May. Happy May Day, but there were some updates to discuss. So first of all, critical security patches released for Magento, Adobe Magento, Adobe Illustrator, and Adobe Bridge. Um, you'll you need to take care of those. They are critical severities. There have was a bunch of WordPress updates this week. Um, we're going to talk about some of them on this podcast today. Uh, but WordPress core, WordPress core files were updated to 5.4.1, and they will address seven different vulnerabilities that we're going to talk about later in this podcast. There were also updates from Cisco to address iOS XE SD-WAN solution software. There was um, updates from VMware for security updates for ESXi. Samba released some security updates. Google released another update to Google Chrome, so it should be on 81.0.4044.129. That is to address some security vulnerabilities. Um, Juniper released updates. OpenSSL, no, that goes back to last week. Okay, so Juniper released updates. We told you about VMware ESXi. ESXi, uh, and we told you about Cisco. So 
lots of updates again this week. That is a big list of updates for the month of April. And so I will include the entire list in the show notes. If you need to apply those updates, please take care of it because you are leaving yourself exposed. And if you were using WordPress, if you have any plugins, there were probably five or six this week that had that have a lot of installs with critical vulnerabilities that had patches, including a theme that is no longer supported. Um, so get it updated, and if this theme is no longer supported, then remove it, replace it, because you're leaving your, your website exposed, okay? All right, let's talk some news here. First up on ZDNet, hackers are exploiting a Sophos firewall zero day. So speaking of updates, um, Sophos releases emergency patch to fix SQL injection bug exploited in the wild impacting its XG firewall product. Cybersecurity firm Sophos has published an emergency security update on Saturday to patch a zero day vulnerability in its XG enterprise firewall product that was being abused in the wild by hackers. Sophos said it's first learned of the zero day on when, late Wednesday, April 22nd, after it received a report from one of its customers. The customer reported seeing a suspicious field value visible in the management interface. After investigating the report, Sophos determined that this was an active attack and not an error in its project. The attack used a previously unknown SQL injection vulnerability to gain access to exposed XG devices, Sophos said in a security advisory. Hackers targeted Sophos XG firewall devices that had their administrators, HTTPS service, or the user portal control panel exposed to the internet. Sophos said the hackers used a SQL injection vulnerability to download a payload on the device. This payload then stole files from the XG firewall. Stolen data could include usernames and hash passwords for the firewall device admin, for the firewall portal admins, and user accounts used for remote access to the device. It also included the firewall's license and serial number and user emails. Sophos said that, so you can expect phishing attacks, by the way. Sophos said that passwords for customers, other external authentication systems such as AD or LDAP were unaffected. So that's good news. The company said that during its investigation, it did not find any evidence that hackers used the stolen passwords to access XG firewall devices or anything beyond the firewall on its customers' internal networks. Sophos researchers named the malware Asnarok, a detailed step-by-step -step analysis of the malware's features and in modus operandi was published, and it's linked on the Sophos website. And then there is a, a um, infographic here of, of what uh, Sophos published. The patch already pushed to customer devices. The UK company famed for its antivirus product said it prepared and already pushed an automated, automatic update to patch all XG firewalls that have the auto update feature enabled. This hotfix eliminated SQL injection vulnerability, which prevented further exploitation, stopped the XG firewall from accessing any attacker infrastructure, and cleaned up any remnants from the attack, it said. So that has been taken care of by Sophos, so good job there. For companies that had devices hacked, Sophos is re recommending a series of steps, which include password resets. I would reset your password either way. And device reboots, reset portal administrator and device administrator accounts, reboot the XG device, Reset passwords for all local user accounts, and although the passwords were hashed, it is recommended that passwords are reset for any accounts where the XG credentials might have been used, reused. So, in other words, 
even though it's hashed, the hash may already have been cracked and is sitting on a dark web forum somewhere. So change your password. Um, <clears throat> also on ZDNet, contact tracing apps unsafe if Bluetooth vulnerability is not fixed. So we've been talking about contract tracing apps for COVID-19, right? So essentially it's an app and, and, Google, and Andrew, uh, Google and Apple have both said that they will include it in an operating system update down the road, a few months down the road. Um, there are issues with, there's concerns that Bluetooth is not stable enough to handle something like this. So with governments increasingly looking into, looking to use contact tracing apps to help contain COVID-19, such initiatives are likely to spark renewed interest in Bluetooth attacks, which means there is a need for assurance that these apps are regularly tested and vulnerabilities patched. As more governments turn to contact tracing apps to aid in their efforts to contain the coronavirus outbreak, cybersecurity experts are warning this may spark renewed interest in Bluetooth attacks. They urge developers to ensure such apps are regularly tested for vulnerabilities and release patches swiftly to plug potential holes. While governments should provide assurance that their databases are secure and the data collected will not be used for purposes other than as originally intended. So, you know, when I first read about this, the potential of this happening, I did, of course, express my concerns. You know, there's there's a track record that anytime apps are developed that hold sensitive information, that sensitive information gets exposed. So there's there is um, concern, of course, that using Bluetooth, which has been compromised before, you've heard of blue snarfing and um, I think it's blue jacking was the other the other thing, but you. You've heard of these things before. We've all heard of Bluetooth being, and we all know that be careful of where we have Bluetooth turned on and what's near us and what's, what's shareable and so forth. Well, this is another thing that, that scares people, right? And I did see another document somewhere, another article that said only about half of, of um, people polled would be for using this type of technology. And I can understand the concern. I completely understand the concern. So something to think about. On uh, naked security by Sophos, five common mistakes that lead to ransomware. Um, ransomware is down so far this year. That's the good news. The bad news is it probably will not. That is not a trend that will continue. I'm sure it will pick up again. A lot of the, f the focus right now is on COVID-19. There's There may have been ransomware attacks. There's There's a lot of reasons why ransomware could be down right now. One is, you know, some of them promised not to hit healthcare during this this pandemic. Another one is a lot of businesses are shut down right now, so they may have ransomware sitting in their environment and not even know it. Um, it's a little bit harder to get into an enterprise environment right now if people are working from home, though not completely impossible. So there's a lot of a lot of variables there. So, but here's what you can do to protect your um, business from ransomware. The first one, this is again on Naked Security by Sophos, protect your system portals. This is what happened with Target. And now that a third-party vendor was involved, but this is exactly what happened with Target. Crooks often sneak in by looking for remote access portals such as RDP and SSH that aren't properly secured, perhaps because they were set up temporarily but then forgotten about. Learn how to scan your own network from the outside and make sure that there are services that are open. Are and, and listening for connections are supposed to be there and that they're on regular security checklists. So in other words, if you have Telnet open, close it because nobody uses Telnet anymore. And I should should clarify my statement. So the target 
hack was a few years ago, I think 2015, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Um, but third party, a third party company was compromised, and then that leaked to a hack of a portal that they used for Target, and then the hackers got into the, t the Target internal system. Now it's not the third, not entirely the third party vendor's fault. It's probably more Target's fault than the third party vendor, but that's how they got in through a portal. Number two, pick proper passwords. We've talked about passwords. We've talked about passwords. Strong passwords means uppercase, lowercase um, numbers and special characters. And the longer, the better. Use a password manager. Don't reuse passwords. And I'm not sure if it's here, but use multi-factor authentication. It's not here. But use multi-factor authentication wherever possible. Wherever possible. I don't care what it is. Oh, it is here. I'm sorry. Two-factor authentication. Um, use it on your email, use it on your social media, use it on your portals, whatever they are, whether, whether it's a CRM or a payroll portal or whatever it is, use it. Number three, peruse your system logs. And this is one that's overlooked a lot. Many, if not most ransomware attacks don't happen instantly or without warning. The crooks usually take some time, often days and sometimes longer to get a picture of your entire network first. That's how they make sure when they finally pull the trigger that initiates the attacks, that they will get this destructive result they want for the ransom they plan to demand. So there will often be numerous telltale signs in your logs, such as appearance of gray hat hacking tools that you wouldn't expect your own users to need or use, sysadmin operations, such as creating new accounts that happen at unusual times, and network connections from outside that don't follow your usual pattern. The Sophos Managed Threat Response Team can help you here. Of course, this is an ad, but you know, you have sim sim logs out there um where they collect logs from the network and you look for certain types of activity and then review it and and act on it as you feel necessary pay attention to warnings that's number 4 if you're if you've set up alerting system to shout out shout you all the time you will almost certainly end up with alert fatigue this is a very real thing if you get 100 alerts and 98 of them are just a waste of time, then you need to adjust your alerting to remove those 98. Um, but be careful not to assume that otherwise interesting warnings can be ignored if they mention a potential threat was already blocked. Often threats that pop up on your network aren't just chance events. They're evidence that crooks are already poking around cautiously to see which actions set off what alarms in the hope of pulling off a much bigger attack later on. And number five, patch early and patch often. Don't leave yourself exposed to potential holes for longer than necessary. So as a rule, um, we test patching as soon as it rolls out, especially for operating systems, as soon as it rolls out and apply it uh, when we think it's safe. Um, but usually by the end of the, the same week that the patches came out. So it comes out on a Tuesday, by the weekend it's patched and on all of client machines. Some things like browsers are, are updated immediately. Um, in a malware, what we use is updated automatically. Things like that get taken care of as quickly as possible. Bleeping Computer reports Microsoft Teams patch against image, and here's another update, image-based account takeover. After looking at how Microsoft Teams handles image resources, security researchers found a way to take over accounts by sending recipients a regular GIF. The method could have 
been used for desktop and web versions of Teams to get access to multiple accounts at once and steal con conversations and threads. Controlling a subdomain under teams.microsoft.com was the main condition for the attack, and the researchers had two to choose from. Microsoft received a report about the vulnerability and pushed mitigations to prevent the attack. So Microsoft had a vulnerability with Teams that could have been compromised with a just by sending a GIF. It's been addressed and no longer an issue. On darkreading.com, um, we've, we've actually talked about this a few times this week. So ExecuFarm, which is a pharmaceutical clinical research organization, was hit with a ransomware attack. Um, this article that I have here that we'll link to was the first of three that I've reviewed. The um, data that was compromised was personally identifiable information and potentially PHI for... Um, for ExecuFarm and also for a business partner, Parexel. It turns out it was the Klopp ransomware um, group, and they stole data, quite a bit of data actually, and have now posted it on the dark web because ExecuFarm is, has not paid the ransom. No clue what the ransom amount is. This is a HIPAA violation, HIPAA breach, by the way, and it is a data breach, so make, make no mistakes here. They exfiltrated the data. That makes it a data breach. Um, so they have the data. They posted it on the dark web. ExecuFarm is not playing nice. They're not, you know, no idea how much the ransom request is. No idea how it happened or anything. Um, so there will be more information to follow on this. But, uh, yep, we're seeing more and more of this. And there was actually three, we'll talk about it later in the show, but three healthcare breaches um, resulting from ransomware just uh, yesterday they were reported. Threat Post reports millions of brute force attacks hit remote desktop accounts. So remote brute force attacks have increased dramatically against remote desktop. Um, automated attacks on remote, des remote desktop protocol accounts are aimed at taking over corporate desktops and infiltrating networks. So remote desktop, if you're not familiar with remote desktop protocol, is Microsoft's way of being able to connect back to a, another Windows machine in another location. And if set up properly, it's fairly secure. In other words, it should be done over VPN and strong passwords and multi-factor authentication and so forth. Um, but what happens is most people don't do those things. And I just, I pers personally witnessed a municipality here in Connecticut that's not doing that. A, a rather large municipality, mis municipality at that. So there has been a rash of brute forcing attempts aimed at users of Microsoft's proprietary remote desktop protocol and striking millions per week. So that's a lot. The attacks are likely offshoot of cyber criminals looking to take advantage of the unprecedented numbers of employees working from home. So more people are working from home. More people are probably using remote desktop. And here's what they do. They have lists of usernames and passwords. They drop them into a script. The script runs automatically, and they attempt to brute force. Um, how do they know where to go? They look for open port 3389 by using Nmap or something similar to scan. And if you're if if it 3389 is open, now they drop they run the script. It's really not that complicated. It's really that easy. A script that you can get easily on the internet. Um. 
on Hot for Security by Bitdefender, smart parking meter company hit with Soto Nakibi. And I thought this was interesting, and it's part of the title for the podcast today. You know, the part that says um, um, no one is safe from ransomware. So here we are. We have parking meters that were hit with a ransomware attack. Company named Civic Smart from Milwaukee that's selling smart parking meters was hit by Soto Nukibi ransomware. And Soto Nukibi is one of those ones that will exfiltrate your data and then put it on the internet for the whole world to see if you don't pay your ransom. And the attackers managed to steal a large amount of data, which they then use for further leverage. These days, it seems that the most affected industries have something to do with the coronavirus. When it comes to cyber attacks, healthcare organizations are getting it left and right, even if they are working on possible vaccine against the virus. Unfortunately, bad actors don't stop even in these troubling times and will use any weakness they find in a system. The Civic Smart attack was perpetrated with Soto Nukibi ransomware and followed the extraction of 159 gigabytes of data. So that is a lot of a lot of data. Usually this kind of action comes from the attackers using Maze, which we know is not true anymore. There's probably six or seven ransomware operators that are using this method now, but it looks like it's now being employed by other groups as well. According to Scoop News report, the attack took place back in March, but the company remained silent and chose to pay the ransom and retrieve the files. So they're mixing a data breach, by the way. According to initial reports, the leaked data included employee records, bank statements, credit card numbers of customers, and even contracts with cities and parking garage vendors. A smart parking system is a great idea, and it's used in many cities from around the world. But like any other service that deals with credit card payments and other sensitive data, the security must never be in second place. The new strategy used by attackers to steal data from affected systems seems to be used more widely in the past few months and it's slowly becoming the new norm in cyber attacks. The other problem is that the company didn't say anything about the attack and data leak even after it presumably paid the hackers. This means that people's financial and personal data were compromised, but they have no idea about it, leaving them exposed to frauds and other hacks. So what should be happening is you should be getting credit monitoring services, um, should have been notified and and this is why you know i I know regulation is in a lot of in a lot of ways sucks but we need a national federal level data protection plan like the gdpr and the ccpa not all states in fact most states in the united states do not have something like the ccpa california california and new york do and a couple other states do most states do not i don't know if milwaukee does or not i don't believe they do um, but that, that's, you know, that's why we need it. Uh, and then finally, we talked a little bit about the word WordPress update to 5.4.1. So if you're using WordPress, which I believe roughly 40% of all websites are now WordPress, you should be on, um, version 5.4.1. And here are some of the security issues. Password reset tokens failed to be properly invalidated. If a password reset was requested for a user, but they then logged in and manually updated the password on the profile page, the email password reset link could still be used. Previously, the password reset link would only be invalidated if the user changed their email address. There's not many circumstances in which this type of issue could be problematic unless an attacker already had access to the victim's email account, which would effectively be a worst case scenario. And that would be pretty bad if you did. Certain private hosts can be viewed by unauthenticated users. This change set 
had the following comment query ensure that only a single post can be returned on date time based queries this indicates that it was possible for an attacker to view private posts by using date and time based queries though only for protected posts that were created or updated by the exact same time down to the second and as an unprotected post um, the two cross-site scripting issues in the customizer these vulnerabilities appear to allow for corruption of post content by various users and could allow for the addition of malicious JavaScript by an, authentic, by an authenticated attacker with contributor capabilities. A user with the ability to write posts such as a contributor or an author without the unfiltered underscore HTML capability and an administrator or editor could corrupt data from each other's drafts, potentially adding malicious JavaScript to a preview or final version of a post. Cross-site scripting issue in the search block this actually appears to refer to two separate vulnerabilities with the same mechanism in both the rss block and the search block an attacker with the ability to customize the class of either of these blocks such as a contributor could potentially set the block class in such a way that the malicious javascript would be executed when viewing or previewing the post cross-site scripting issue in wp object cache the object cache is used to save trips to the database by caching content from the database and making the dash, I'm sorry, the cache contents available by using a key, which is used to name and later retrieve the cache contents. In a few edge cases, an attacker with the ability to change object cache keys might be able to set one of these cache keys to malicious JavaScript. By default, WordPress does not display these stats, nor does it allow users to directly manipulate cache keys. It is impossible, it is possible that an improperly programmed plugin or combination of plugins could allow an attacker to manipulate a cache key and result in the unescaped value being displayed to an administrator viewing these stats via a plugin or custom code designed to display them. Cross-site scripting issue and file uploads. A particular vulnerability could allow a user with the upload underscore files capability, authors and above, and a default installation to upload a file with the file name set to malicious. JavaScript, which might be exec executed when viewing the file in the media gallery. An authenticated cross-site scripting issue in the block editor. This vulnerability existed in a few of the release candidates and does not appear to have been present in the official release. It was discovered by Nayen or Gayen, the Duck in WordPress 5.4 release candidate 1 and release candidate 2, and it was fixed in 5.4 release candidate 5. So those are your seven vulnerabilities that were addressed, six of them being cross-site scripting issues. Update to WordPress 5.4.1. It is not easy to find websites that are not on the latest version. If you're not, you're putting yourself and your website at risk. Right, we're going to talk some numbers now for our hot topics for the week. The first one, I've, I've kind of t already touched on it a couple times in this podcast. Ransomware attacks against key sectors fall amidst coronavirus outbreak. And this is on techrepublic.com. Campaigns against government agencies, educational establishments, and healthcare providers aren't proving as successful as expected, says security firm MCSoft. Cyber criminals who deploy ransomware are always on the hunt for new victims. That's true even during a time of crisis such as the coronavirus pandemic. Though some ransomware gangs have vowed to hold off on attacks against hospitals and healthcare providers as the world battles COVID-19. 
Others are still trying to make a profit out of the potential, any potential victim. But as the virus has spread, the number of successful ransomware attacks against certain sectors has actually declined, according to a blog post published Thursday by MCSoft. In 2019, 966 government agencies, educational establishments, and healthcare providers in the U.S. were hit by ransomware. Initial projections called for the same or worse numbers for 2020, but for the first quarter of the year, only 89 such organizations were affected by ransomware. So you're looking at a 270, which is a significant drop-off. If that play, I'm sorry, not 270, it would be 360. So that's little, little more than a third of what it was last year. However, as you'll hear, that probably will not remain, reducing the number to a level not seen in several years. Drilling down the res- on the results, ransomware attacks during the first quarter hit 38 government agencies, 26 educational establishments, and 25 healthcare providers. So now here's the thing. A lot of government agencies um, that are considered not essential are shut down right now. All the schools are r- remote at this point, so there's some and some of them are closed. And then healthcare providers, you know, some of the ransomware operators have promised not to hit them. I don't believe that that's going to be the case, but um, that's what they promised. This decline has continued into the start of the second quarter with three government agencies, two educational facilities, and two healthcare providers victimized by ransomware. Now we just learned about three more healthcare providers a couple days ago. So whether or not the overall number of ransomware attack campaigns has fallen, why is the level of successful attacks against the three mentioned sectors decline? MCSoft points to a few factors. First, many government educational healthcare organizations have suspended non-essential services during the coronavirus outbreak, leaving a smaller attack area for ransom. Second, while people working from home may be new target, they also represent different challenges for ransomware attackers. These criminal groups are limited by available personnel and resources and can't always modify their operations as quickly as desired. And third, many organizations are suffering financially as a result of COVID-19 outbreak. As such, they simply can't afford to pay huge sums of money to attackers demanding a ransom. In a note posted recently on its website, the Maze Ransomware Group said, we are living in the same economic reality as you are. That's why we prefer to work under the arrangements, and we are ready for compromise. Though the number of successful ransomware attacks in the public sector has fallen, attacks against the private sector have remained at around the same level during the coronavirus outbreak further when even the decline against government schools and healthcare providers is likely temporary and MCSoft believes the level of attacks will ramp up as the year progresses. The government should, as noted in a 2019 report, seek to bolster security in these sectors and should do as do so as a matter of urgency, MC said in a blog post. This is critical given that COVID-19 pandemic could amplify existing security risks around the upcoming election, especially as some states have reallocated elections security budgets to fund efforts related to COVID-19. So it is an interesting warning, and I think it's a legitimate warning. Um, I don't think this is going to be the trend for the whole year. We're going to see a jump um, when, when A, the ransomware groups figure out how to get around with the work from home, and into the enterprise environments and into the healthcare environments and the government agencies and the, and the, uh, the schools and so forth. And um, the schools are changing a lot right now, so that's that's likely to lead vulnerabilities. Um, and the other piece of that pie is we don't know, there may be ransomware sitting waiting anywhere. 
And so they're changing their mode. And, and, and the interesting thing is the flip side of this is that malware is being reported as 30 up an increase of 30,000%. And a lot of times that malware will lead to a ransomware attack. Phishing has seen an 85% increase since the beginning of the year. Um, so phishing, as we know, 90% of phishing leads to, to ransomware or 90% of ransomware attacks begin with phishing. So it's not that it's not happening. It will happen. So don't let your guards down. Don't become the uh, next victim simply because you think ransomware attackers have given up. They haven't. Now let's talk about the bad side of the ransomware story for 2020 so far. This is on darkreading.com. Average ransomware payments soared in the first quarter. Criminals extorting large amounts of money from big enterprises pulled up the overall average significantly compared with the fourth quarter of 2019, Coveware says. The ransomware economy continues to boom even as COVID-19 pandemic wreaks havoc on businesses around the world. New data from Coveware on ransomware attacks on the first quarter of this year showed that compared with the fourth quarter of 2019, Medium ransomware payments held relatively steady at around 44000 but average payments soared 33% to $111,605. Now, you're prepared to pay $111,000 to someone because you didn't secure your system. You know, how much salary is that right there? And then, to, you know, to, then there's other fallouts after the fact. Now it's a data breach potentially and um, lawsuits and whatever else exists out there. The increase in average amounts of insurance, by the way, the increase in average amounts reflected the significantly bigger ransom payments that large enterprises paid last quarter to get their data back compared with smaller and medium-sized businesses. This year's first quarter marks the seventh straight quarter. The average payments have increased. As recently as the first quarter of 2019, the average ransom payment in Coveware study was just $12,762, or less than a tenth of the current average. So you can see a big increase over the last year. Ransomware is an economics-driven industry, says Bill Siegel, CEO of co-founder of Coveware. Right now, the economics are very favorable, favorable to cyber criminals. Coveware's data shows that ransomware attacks increased across the board last quarter as threat actors took advantage of the pandemic and resulting economic and, dis and disruption to go after businesses. The attacks resulted in downtime of around 15 days on average for victims, down marginally from previous quarter, but still disturbingly high. Cover said many of the attacks involved data exfiltration as well, and that's where you get yourself into trouble. Phishing emails are often perceived to be the most favored mechanism for attackers to drop ransomware, but insecure remote desktop protocol access points, which are available in dark markets for as little as $20, are even more popular and continue to represent the most common ransomware attack vector last quarter. Combined with cheap ransomware kits, the cost to carry out attacks on machines with open RDP were too economically lucrative for criminals to resist, Coveware said. Now, I just we just told you that RDP, there is over a million um, brute force attempts on RDP per week right now. As in previous quarters, small professional services firms such as law firms, managed service providers, and accounting firms were the most heavily targeted and accounted for for nearly 20% of all ransomware attacks that Coveware account encountered in this year's first quarter. Public sector entities, including schools and local governments, another top ransomware target in previous quarters, attracted a lot of attention in the first quarter of 2020 as well, but in break from pattern, almost 50% of ransomware attacks in this category were directed at schools. According to Coveware, ransomware purveyors typically have 
tended to attack schools in summer to increase their chances of getting victims to pay up before our schools reopen. The uncharacteristic volume of attacks against school districts in the first quarter suggests that threat actors were trying to take advantage of, of the hasty move to distance learning that schools had to implement in response to COVID-19, Colbert said. Even as some of the threat actors stopped targeting healthcare entities, others continued going after them, making healthcare the second most heavily targeted sector with after professional services firms. The payment payoff security experts have strongly advocated against organizations paying a ransom to get back access to their encrypted data and systems. Many believe that ransom payments only encourage more attacks and more threat actors. In fact, the only reason an organization would even consider paying a ransom is if the business would fail or falter if it doesn't, says Siegel. It is the option of last resort only, Siegel says. Only if your business is at risk of permanent damage because the data loss will be so severe should a ransom be considered, he says. Coveware's data suggests that when organizations do end up exceeding acceding to ransom demand, their chances of good outcome remain fairly high. 99% of businesses that paid a ransom last quarter got a working decryption key for unlocking their data. The average data recovery rate with these keys itself, though, dropped or dipped modestly to 96% in the first quarter of 2020 compared with 97% in the prior quarter. So in other words, you have a 96% chance of getting your data back if you pay the ransom. Coveware found that enterprises stood a better chance of recovering their data when dealing with the operators of some of the top ransomware fa families such as Ryu, Kusoto, Nukibi, and Phobos. The operators of these families, particularly Ryu, Kusoto, Nukibi, have, intended, have tended to target larger organizations. At the other end of the spectrum, some ransomware variants such as Mespinoza and Death Hidden Tear caused data loss when encrypting data and had decryption keys that were buggy as well. So, um, of course, these the larger ransomware families will give you the data back because if they don't, then the next the next enterprise environment that they hit isn't going to pay the ransom because why would they? What you're not going to give the data back? Don't pay the ransom. Um, but as it says in the article, it is strongly discouraged because it does paint a bigger target on you. It's interesting. There is some contradicting inf information here that says you know healthcare and um, Schools were targeted heavily again in the first quarter, but then we just read in the previous article that it, that they were down significantly. So not sure where the data comes from, but there you have it. And we do have the March 2020 breach, HIPAA breach report. So the numbers for March, not great. March 2020 saw a 7.69% month-over-month decrease in the number of reported healthcare data breaches and a 45.88% reduction in the number of breach records. But that's from February, when February was 1.5 million records breached. Um, now, the number of data breaches of 500 or more was 36 for the month of March, which is average for the year so far. We had 39 in February, 33 in, in January. A little bit lower than 2019 for the most part. Um, only a couple of months were lower lower than that. Um, there was 828,921 records breached. And we have the top 10 breaches. Nine of them were hacking an IT incident. All were healthcare providers except for one. One business, or I'm sorry, there was two business associates in the top 10. Stephen C. Dean and one digital health and benefits. Um the one digital health and benefits was a theft. I'm not sure. I, I don't 
recall seeing that breach reported, so I'm not sure what the theft was, but I'd have to guess a laptop or some unencrypted device. Remember, if your device is encrypted, it does not count as a HIPAA breach if it's stolen or lost. But if it's not encrypted, then it becomes a, a HIPAA breach, and you have to report it. Um, so the number one breach was Ambry Genetics Corporation, a healthcare provider, 232,772 uh, individual records, um, all the way down to number 10, Washington University School of Medicine, which is also a healthcare provider, 14,795. Causes of March 2020 healthcare data breaches, unauthorized access or disclosure was nine, theft six, lost two, hacking IT incident 19, and this should come as no surprise, but again, here we go. Location of breach PHI. Other was one. I'm not sure what that means. Other portable electronic device, which could have been the stolen device, is two. Electronic medical records. Two. Desktop computer could have also been stolen. Three. Email. 18. Network server. Nine. Paper films. Four. And laptops. Three. And again, that could have been the stolen device. 18 for email. Again, uh, I think it was almost 40% of all the breaches. This, this got to, like, I don't, just don't understand why we're not taking care of it. We're not taking care of it, though. It's not happening. We continue to see phishing attacks succeed time and time again. Um, the breaches by covered entity type. So we have um, 26 healthcare providers, six business associates, which seems to be growing. Three healthcare plans and one healthcare clearinghouse. So business associates are outpacing healthcare plans and clearinghouses combined. So six business associates, health plan, and healthcare clearinghouse combined is four. Um, the OCR did say there would be increased enforcement against business associates. Now that was before the COVID nineteen pandemic. So whenever things do settle down, you can expect to see some enforcement. Right, it's time for our HIPAA education, and we're going to continue with um, a review of the cybersecurity best practices, I guess you can call it, from the document from the HICP, um, I guess you could call it a council, or, or a, I'm trying not to get the right word here, but anyway, the technical volume one, cybersecurity practices for small healthcare organizations. And this is part three, cybersecurity practice number three, and this is access management. And this is all based, loosely based off of the NIST cybersecurity framework. So they take that and they apply it to healthcare. Um, and this is, this would be your cybersecurity best practices in a healthcare environment. And again, this is for access management. And as I just reported a minute ago, the access management, um, the, sorry, the unauthorized access or disclosure was nine of the breaches in March. Now, I don't know, you know, some of that disclosure, it could have been accidental. There's a, you know, there's a number of ways that could have, you know, could have happened. It could have been somebody dumped a bunch of files in a, in a garbage bin or something. But sometimes, and I know there was a few in, in March where somebody was looking at records they shouldn't have been accessing. So here are the best practices for access management. 
Establish a unique account for each user. Nobody should be using a shared account to access, especially access records. Assign a separate user account to each user in your organization. Train and regularly remind users that they must never share their passwords. You should never share your passwords because, you know what, as much as I talk about password security on this podcast and on a daily podcast, I know people reuse passwords, and I've done it before. I'm guilty of it myself, and others are guilty of it. I'm sure almost everybody's done it. And if you you give your password to someone, then they could potentially try that password everywhere else. Um, Require each user to create an account password that is different from ones used for personal internet or email access, like Gmail, Yahoo, Facebook, and so forth. Limit the use of shared or generic accounts. The use of shared or generic accounts should be avoided. If shared accounts are required, train and regularly remind users that they must sign out upon completion of activity or whenever they leave the device. Even for a moment, passwords should be changed after each use. Sharing accounts exposes organizations to greater vulnerabilities. For example, the complexity of updating passwords for multiple users on a shared account may result in a compromised password remaining active and allowing unauthorized access over an extended period of time. I would say avoid shared accounts as much as possible. I've heard of healthcare offices where everybody's using one account to access EHR. I've heard of an EHR that actually taught a healthcare provider to use just one account across the entire staff, which is just just insane because now if I want to steal records, it's easy because who's going to know it's me? Tailor the access to the needs of each user. In other words, the the theory of least privilege, right? So that means don't give people access to things that they don't need to do their day-to-day jobs. There's no need for it. Um, Make sure you create accounts that only allow them access to the things that they need to be able to complete their job. Um, Tailor access to each user based on the user-specific workplace requirements. Most users require access to common systems such as email and file servers. Implementing tailored access is usually called provisioning. Now we have terminate user access as soon as the user leaves the organization. That would seem like common sense, but it it doesn't happen as often as you would think. Um, Even if you can't delete because sometimes there is data attached to that, disable the user um, and just make it so that it's not accessible because this this happens a lot too where the account doesn't get disabled or other accounts that were created for that user don't get disabled and then they come back in and do some serious damage. Provide role-based access. So in other words, instead of saying um, you get access to this, this, and that, you say this is your job, this is your role, this this is the access that that role has. As user accounts are established, the accounts must be granted access to the organization's computers and programs as appropriate to each user. Consider following the minimum necessary principle associated with the HIPAA privacy rule. Allow each user access only to the computers and programs required to accomplish that user's job or role in the organization. This limits the organization's exposure to unauthorized access, loss, and theft of data if the user's identity or access is compromised. And so if, if I'm a, a doctor, obviously my role is different than it would be a front desk receptionist, right? So the roles need to be established ahead of time and when a new employee is brought on you give them that role based on what their position with the company is with the healthcare practices configure systems and endpoints with automatic lock and log off so 
configure systems and endpoints to automatically lock and log off users after a predetermined period of inactivity such as 15 minutes. Now, I know a lot of people don't like that, but that is a security setting, and it needs to, I, I, I would do 10 minutes, especially in a healthcare practice. Implement single sign-on. Um, the reason for single sign-on, you, you might at first think, well, that's even less secure because now I've got access to more stuff if I get access. Well, what it does do is it means you don't need a bunch of different passwords. Implement single sign-on systems that automatically manage access to all software and tools once users have signed onto the network. Such systems allows the organization to centrally maintain and monitor access. So in other words, now I don't have to log into seven different applications. I only need the one single sign-on. I don't have to manage seven different passwords, potentially which would potentially mean, um, well, that gives you seven. Now you have seven different potential risks rather than one. And then implement multi-factor authentication for the cloud really anywhere. If you're using whatever login, should have multi-factor authentication. You could set it up on the, on the desktops. You could set it up on the email, on the cloud services, on the EHR. If your EHR does not offer multi-factor authentication, move on to a different EHR. And I know that's not easy to do if, if you've been using it for a while, but if if that's, if it's not that easy to do, then you really need to encourage your EHR to adapt uh, multi-factor authentication. And I would go a step further and say some type of biometric. Um, threats that are mitigated from this ransomware attacks, of course, insider, accidental, or international data loss. There was an, a report, I think it was this week, I'm not sure if it was this week or last week, but insider... Um, insider incidents are up 47%, I believe was the number, and then attacks against connected medical devices that may affect patient safety. So that is access controls as it is under, and this is for small healthcare organizations, so it'll be a little different for larger organizations. Um, but technical volume one cybersecurity practice, practices for small healthcare organizations. Those are your best practices. Put them in place and help yourself avoid not only a, a HIPAA breach, but a cybersecurity breach, a data breach, which data breaches are becoming a big problem and will cost probably more than the HIPAA breach will. All right, let's move on to our HIPAA breach report for the, for the week. Speaking of HIPAA breaches. Right, time for the HIPAA breach roundup. We have, I believe, five breaches that were reported this week. We already told you about the data for March, so we will not talk about that again. But first up, Ambry Genetics and Aliso, Aliso Vieo, California-based genetic testing lab, is notifying 232,772 individuals that some of their protected health information was exposed as a result of a recent email security breach at almost 233 records. That is the second largest healthcare data breach to be reported in 2020. So it doesn't sound like April is going to be a good month. Ambry Genetics discovered an unauthor unauthorized individual gained access to an employee's email account between January 22nd and January 24th, potentially viewed and obtained protected health information of its customers. The security team and third-party computer forensics experts were unable to determine if any information in the compromised accounts was accessed or stolen, but re no reports have been received to suggest any 
personal information has been misused. So I, again, I've told you time, I've told you many times already. I don't like those statements. But the email accounts were reviewed and found to contain information such as names, medical information, and other information related to the services provided by Ambry Genetics. A small number of individuals also had their social security numbers exposed. Um, Arizona Endocrinology Center, this is an interesting one, is alerting 74,122 patients that some of their protected health information has been impermissibly disclosed to another medical group by a physician after he left the product, uh, practice. Sorry, Before Dr. Duavetti left Arizona Endocrinology Center, he downloaded patient data and disclosed the information to his new employer, Moore MD. Patient names, telephone numbers, addresses, medical record numbers, and the names of patients, primary doctor, were downloaded from EHR. No social security numbers, health insurance information, or financial data was obtained by Dr. Duavetti. Arizona Endocrinology Center learned of the incident on February 17th when patients started reporting. They had received text messages from MoreMD advising them that Dr. Duavetti had moved to the medical group. MoreMD also advertised its services in the text messages. The breach investigation revealed the data was downloaded on January 12, 2020. Arizona Endocrinology Center has told its patients that it has no business relationship with MoreMD and Dr. Dovetti no longer works for the practice. So it has been difficult to obtain solid assurances that the data has now been deleted and will not be used. The practice explained on its website that our patients and their families are free to contact Dr. Dovetti and MoreMD directly to ask them about their personal information. So here's Here's the interesting thing. So first of all, we don't know, did he leave unexpectedly? Did he download all this information before he left unexpectedly? Um, did they know he was leaving and they they still allowed him access? And then if if they, if he, if he left unexpectedly and downloaded all this information, now who's at fault? Is it, is it Dr. Duavetti? Is it, is it, um, more MD? Um, and then if more MD or Dr. Dovetti is at fault, does the potential HIPAA penalty outweigh the financial gain they may have from taking all this information? It's hard to say. So we'll see if that develops. I don't know if we'll, if there'll be follow-up on that, but if there is, we will certainly make you aware of it. Darkview Medical Center, Pueblo, Colorado, is recovering from a ransomware attack that started on April 21, 2020. The attack resulted in several IT systems being taken out of action, including its Meditech electronic medical record system, which has been rendered inoperable. The attack is currently being investigated and assistance is being provided by a third-party computer forensics firm. Parkview Medical Center is currently working around the clock to bring its systems back online and recover the encrypted data. In the meantime, medical services continue to be offered to patients who remain number one priority. Staff have switched to pen and paper to record patient information until systems can be brought back online. Despite not having access to important systems, the medical center says the level and quality of care provided to patients has not changed. Um, I did read somewhere before that when we switched from electronic to pen and paper that the pace of care is slowed a little bit. So... Um, I don't know how true that statement is. It's maybe it's not measurable. I don't know. A spokesperson for the medical center said, while our medical staff continue to work around the clock and in response to the ongoing global pandemic, we are doing everything in our power to bring our systems back online as quickly and securely as possible. The hospital's website still says systems remain out of action as of Wednesday, April 29th. It is no, it is not known if this was a manual or automated ransomware attack and if the sensitive data was exfiltrated by the attackers prior to the deployment of ransomware. 
Um, we already talked about ExecuFarm. It was Maze Ransomware that hit them. Oh, I'm sorry. So this says it's Maze Ransomware, but another article said CLOP. So it's hard to say. But we know that the data was exfiltrated, and so they're dealing with that. And they're being a little hush-hush about everything. And then finally, Brandywine Counseling and Community Services in Delaware has also recently been attacked with ransomware. The attack was detected on February 10, 2020, and a computer forensic firm was hired to assist with the investigation. The investigation determined servers impacted by the attack contained some client information which was acquired by the attackers. So, they, so again, Maze, Soda, and Kiwi, Klopp, um, Doppelpamer. The attack has been reported to the HHS Office of Civil Rights is affecting 4,262 individuals. The data stolen in the attack includes clients' names, addresses, dates of birth, and or limited clinical information such as provider names, diagnosis, prescriptions, and or treatment information, and a limited number of social security numbers and driver's license numbers. And of course, they're offering credit monitoring services for anybody who had their social security number or driver's license number stolen in the attack. That is the HIPAA breach roundup, and that is the proactive it podcast for the week number episode number 27 so thank you again for listening and until next week stay healthy stay safe stay secure